stories, real stories from real midwives. This is Head On View. Day in the life. <laughs> she said, "What? These are our stories." Welcome to another episode of Head On View. I'm Carly. I'm Laura. And Penny is clearly not paying attention. Clearly paying attention. <laughs> Penny. Oh, well, Penny is here as well, but she's just ignoring us. Anyhow, <laughs> we have got a couple of guests today. Oh, my God. This is epic. So we have got the ladies, Bonnie and Megan, from Making a Midwife podcast. So welcome, ladies. Thank you for having us. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, I guess at the start, we will just get you guys to tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you're at. So I guess, Bonnie, if you want to go first. So I'm Bonnie. I live in WA on Woodjuck Noongar country. I um, am studying externally a Bachelor of Midwifery, so that's not including nursing. And I, <laughs> I would be finishing at the end of this year, but uh, thanks to uh, some unfortunate circumstances I'll probably be hopefully graduating mid-year next year so I will have yeah so I'm in sort of I guess my second last semester but end of my third year awesome you're nearly at the end (laughs) thank god (laughs) and um I can just say ditto other than I am finishing this year I've just sort of scraped through how good Um, does it feel to be nearly at the end right you're just like grasping it anything you can just to like get to the very end i'm excited i can almost see it inside nearly <laughs> how did the idea for your podcast come about did you feel like there was not many resources or anything offered like this to support student midwives out there yeah well i think <laughs> um so i have adhd and i was diagnosed as an adult and it's been really interesting finding out about adhd since then And one of the things that I've learned about it is that people with ADHD have really poor impulse control and get very hyper-focused on things. So I had a baby two days before lockdown started in WA last year, my second baby. And I was driving to the chiropractor about three months after she was born and feeling like the world's worst mother because I had, because we were in lockdown, my mum was living with us. And so it was just me, my husband, my two kids, and my mom in my house. I had decided to keep on studying the theoretical side of my units because I was like, well, I've got this permanent babysitter in my house. This is amazing. I might as well make use of it. But what came with that was just this intense, crazy guilt on both sides of the fact that I felt guilty as a mum because I would be holding my baby and studying at the same time, or my mum would be culling my baby and I would be studying. And don't get me wrong, I spend a lot of time with my baby because you just have to and because she was cute. But I, I just, I felt so guilty and I would just, I just thought I was the world's worst mum. And I just felt like also a really crappy student because I was like, I can't even focus. Why am I doing this? I'm not putting the best work out there that I could do because I've got a newborn baby and I've got a toddler and we're in a pandemic and shouldn't I not be studying right now because I've got all this stuff going on. And yeah, I think I did, I I went 
is that like does anyone else think this like does anyone else have issues with their kids and study does anyone else feel as guilty as I do is it or is it just me and I genuinely am the worst mum in the world and so I did I looked around I thought surely there's podcasts for students and students that do healthcare pracs because I think healthcare pracs are a bit different from say education pracs you know they're I think they're longer and I think they're very very intense but i don't anybody take my word on that. I'm sorry if I've gotten that wrong. And I just couldn't find anything. And I looked and looked. And there was, I mean, I listened to great podcasts like Australian Birth Stories. I love Australian Birth Stories. Oh, Story. yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, so fantastic. And I've shared my pregnancies on there. And I really love Sophie. And I love the resource she's put out with that. But there just wasn't anything for students studying midwifery. And it really shocked me because I thought midwifery is a real movement at the moment. Like, Mm. Midwifery is not just a job or a occupation. It's it's a real calling for so many people and midwifery is standing up and it's starting to raise its voice and it's starting to realise that things need to change and I feel like it's going through this real revolution. And I was like, so why is there nothing free, accessible, portable, and that creates a community for people that are studying this because it's a really tough course. It's really hard. It is. It's a. It it's. Is. It's really. And I think in our cohort of people, we had some, some people were very young and they didn't have children, um, but they were still working um, mm. or living at home or caring for parents. One of the girls I've been to uni with had a, a dad who um, had had a stroke at uni when she was at uni you know lots of people have different things going on and I don't think even when I back back in the day when I was a student my kids were young as well they were like one and a half and four I don't know they're really big now and I didn't have any resources either and I think it's great for you to recognize that because what do you do like if you're stuck at home and you can't do anything Mm. and you're struggling and the course Bachelor of Midwifery or double degree, however you do it, or postgrad, mm. is so intense, and you're expected to care for women and care for their babies. You got to care for yourself and your own babies first, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and it's it's, it's a really such, hard one. It's such an interesting point because I don't think that women in a midwifery degree are supported at all to look after their own children. Anyway, that's a whole mm. other thing I could talk. Oh about. no, I hear um, you, sister. <laughs> So I was I was searching for resources about studying and raising kids or studying midwifery and there was nothing and I was driving to the chiropractor one day and I thought, oh, what if I made a podcast? And because I have ADHD, because I'm impulsive and because I get hyper-focused, I could not let it go. So I called Meg and I was like, what do you think of this idea? And she was like, oh, yeah, sounds good. And then, and then that was probably the point that you joined me on the journey then, Meg. We probably but, should have said for context, I am an enabler. <laughs> lots of, <laughs> we've had lots of little projects like I went out and bought all that clay to make those name badges that everyone has in midwifery. And, and also probably like just to reiterate, we're both studying externally. So we met each other maybe at the end of first semester. So that's six mm. months into the degree on your own which is probably great for learning the content and not getting distracted by friends that can relate and also help you get distracted and procrastinate. But then even when we met each other and our other friends, we're all around Australia. So Bonnie and I are quite close, um, but everyone else is, you know, quite spread. So 
you kind of didn't have that resource at the start, at least, of having a group chat, which everyone has in midwifery. We didn't have that until sort of six months in. Mm. So um, it's, again, like for people in the Bachelor of Midwifery or the dual degree that are studying externally, they just don't have as much support. I'm still working in an area that I'm working with midwives in um, academia, but like doing the Masters by Research or PhD. So I was exposed to all these amazing midwives that I thought, oh, my gosh, and I had a great relationship with most of them. So I thought... I bet, I bet they'd come on and one by one they were all really happy to come on and so I was able to help Bonnie kind of grow it a bit from behind the scenes because it definitely started out a little bit student heavy and then slowly the academics started coming in and then a few kind of midwifery activists would say um, we're really keen to give us their time and it just kept growing. Yeah we are we are activists I, I, <laughs> I, I don't think you get into midwifery just saying oh this looks interesting I'll just do mid. <laughs> right everyone has a story to tell or a reason why they wanted to do mid mm. and I think as students I feel like students are so vulnerable to to sort of not not bullying but like when you're studying it you're really vulnerable as a as a student and as a mother or you know wanting to be a mother and facing women and children and I just I felt lost when I was a student I would have loved a podcast <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's been amazing from the point of view of it's connected students but I think one of my favorite things about it now is because if if my lecturer shares with me a research paper I'm not, I'm not going to read it I just I don't have the focus and the attention span to sit down and read numbers and figures and some a text that is dry but if I talk to Hazel Keedle or Rachel Reed on her research about induction or Elizabeth Newnham about, you know, epidural use, I learn it. I learn it and I remember it. And when I go into birds and situations in hospitals, I can't use that information yet because I'm a student and nobody listens to a student. But <laughs> I can observe with that knowledge and I can have that knowledge ready to use. Where So I just, I love the fact that it takes the people that were passionate enough to do that research and puts it out there so that we can all be learning the up-to-date research because no one's got time to sit there and read study after study after study how are you guys finding so you do external we both do yeah in terms of learning styles how are you guys finding it as external students because I mean I did mine on campus and I still struggled with lectures like you know 20 minutes into a lecture I was snoozing mm -hmm. I was so bored but in a practical sense like in our pracs I was a little bit more awake <laughs> how does that work as an external midwifery student because I feel like it's a very hands-on type of learning I feel like for me it, it sits nicely outside of my schedule that I can work um, socialize do all the CCE stuff and then you know park it and then when I'm ready and free to study I can pull it back down um, you don't have to join the lectures so they're recorded you can watch them later so it works for me as someone that doesn't have kids but still has a lot going on and yeah working and I still get pretty good grades when I you know pull my finger out and I think Bonnie <laughs> is very humble but she also does really good grades so I <laughs> don't know what you're going to say about that. <laughs> How did you guys find the first six months without any sort of student like support face to face? I know when I did the postgrad I kind of leaned or just sort of we made a group between all us postgrads because no one really 
knew what we were going through. How did you guys find that first six months? Did you struggle sort of not really knowing any other midwifery students? I wonder if in that first six months, you know, everyone's so chuffed to be actually doing the study that that sort of gets you through until you meet your classmates. Mm -hmm. But I do remember like, so we had to fly interstate to go to our university um, and we were grouped in separate groups over weeks to do our first clinical training blocks. And I remember it being really intimidating meeting these students that you know, you'd already done X amount of assessments, you know, you'd already sort of, some people were really good academically, some people weren't, you'd already done discussion board replies. And it's so easy to form an idea about who your classmates are from things that you read on a discussion board or things that you read on a um, general question chat or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But the, and I guess the other the other thing is is that you meet these people because we'll have online tutorials and you'll see them in there and it's not the same as meeting them in person. So it was super intimidating, I think, meeting everybody six months in. Um, and I don't know, Meg, would you say that well, I, I, I feel well, like it was pos- fairly positive? Yeah, but the see, I had credit from a different, from starting a course before midwifery mm-hmm. and I was only doing two units. One was midwifery, one was um a cultural unit so like to be really honest the first midwifery unit is learning what women centered care is we're not doing ccs in the first six months back then um we weren't doing placement until after we'd met everyone on that clinical blog so that first six months which is really only 13 weeks like a semester um was like learning the nice fluffy light stuff about you know being with women the assignments were all fairly okay it's an introduction i guess so was distance learning, was that a choice for you guys or was that more that from where you live geographically, there was no other options, like you had to do distance learning? Yeah, so WA is pretty rubbish when it comes to um, a Bachelor of Midwifery. <laughs> so they had just finished their last cohort going through Curtin University who used to have a Bachelor of Midwifery. They now offer a Master's in Midwifery where if you have done any other um undergrad degree you can do so you could be an accountant and do the masters um Uh sorry that's really funny (laughs) yeah it's like we spoke to the some of the women that have sort of designed that course and we understand their rationale behind it it takes a bit of i think getting used to though but yeah so wa doesn't actually have any other options if you want to just do a bachelor's of midwifery and for me with the kids there was no way i wanted to do extra time doing nursing um and also i don't want to be a nurse i i wanted to be a midwife and uh, i understand that there's you know people would say to me yeah but what what do you like the hospitals aren't going to employ you because they can't send you to another area of the hospital if midwifery is quiet. I promise they will still employ you. <laughs> I don't want to go to another part of the hospital. And I think nursing and midwifery are, are really different. And, you know, I'm sort of saying that from an uneducated point of view in terms of never being a nurse. But it seems like there are some some gaps that separate nursing and midwifery. I think nursing is more systematic like the nurses I've worked with I can tell they've done nursing because their approach to things and systems they all seem to have systems or they're they've been in a respiratory ward or they've been in an oncology ward or surgical ward and they're used to 
following. Yeah, I def I definitely think that if you've had the people who have been nurses and then done post-grad meet um I know there's a lot of people like myself who did the double degree so we came in with you know no knowledge at all and then really I feel like sometimes I'm sort of just a nurse in name because um so you know I went in straight straight just to working in midwifery and my nursing degree has allowed me to do a lot of other jobs that I couldn't do just as a midwife. Like I've done a lot of COVID jobs and I've done like onset nursing, things like that, that I couldn't do if I wasn't a nurse. But in terms of working in like a general like med surge ward, like I've never done that. And sometimes like where I work now, we will get overflow and then of like surgical patients if we happen to have a couple of spare beds. And I know that happened in the hospital where um, we worked in Melbourne as well. Um, but often we get quite high acuity nursing patients. So not just simple, um, you know, simple things that you're like, oh, this, you know, whatever, I've got basic skills for this. But, you know, they'll be talking about drains and stuff like that. And I'll be like, so what? What? Oh, this gas, this gas drain, you just need to. It's me to do a bedpan the other day. And I was like, sorry, what? Like, oh, you mean, no. So. I got, so I got my student, <laughs> my third year nursing and midwifery student. I was like, you've done nursing, right? They're like, yeah, I'm like, go bedpan her. Can do you, can you do that? She's like, yeah, that's easy. And I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> that's the thing as well. Like, and so Penny, many, Penny um, was a nurse. You were a nurse, Penny. I, like I was a nurse for, for seven years, but Megan and Bonnie are saying like, and when I did my postgrad, like midwifery doesn't focus, you know, these women at, well, women, nursing, majority of the time you're working with someone who's very acutely sick and who's in hospital, you know, for a very majority of the time, a sad reason. I mean, nursing was only good because it's furthered my career as a maternal child health nurse. So, and I needed nursing in that, but, you know, being a straight midwife doesn't stop you from working in a midwifery ward. Like, Yeah, it sounds like, what it sounds like is that nursing is not like nursing can open doors for you within the field of midwifery and the you know pregnancy and childbirth continuum and things like that it's not gonna you know stop you from being a good midwife but it's not essential as well to be a good midwife and i think that there's a there's a bit of a misconception that you won't know what to do if you don't have nursing under your belt as well and i think yeah, that's something that it's like my what do you think? Do you guys, do either of you have like a see, seeing as you're at the end of your um, training in study, um, do you have like an idea of what area of midwifery you'd like to end up in? I think most people do, but it'd be interesting, especially as external learners and not having as much face to face contact with your cohort and stuff like that. Do you have? an idea of where you'd like to end up? Um, I'm going straight into the hospital system. I've mm. just had a six-week prac with the MGP out in the wheat belt, which I loved, but definitely was a different pace. So, I don't know, we both started in a community model, like shared care, and it was amazing. It was like the gold standard, and we said that we would actually take over from the owners at some two midwives in 20 years' time. But... Um, I don't know. We, I think everyone probably say the same. Like you want to get your birth skills up and have the experience so that you can be safe in the community. But I don't necessarily think that um, the community is for me anymore. I think I see the gaps in the hospital system where some women just seem to be, you know, like next, 
next um and when you're there as a student and you might have that sort of seven hour shift and you get them the next day and you can see the difference that they're looking forward to having you again because mm. you gave them the time to sit on the end of the bed and like chat or something i i'd i'd like to move into that area now so that i can sort of fill that gap if possible i don't know when i'm a midwife task management might be a bit different depends on your hospital yeah depends how busy and what level your hospital is depends on your managers and who's looking after the students and how well yeah. students are looking. it does but also it also does come down to personality as well like I, I get like there is often you can get real busy in hospitals and then especially in a public hospital and there is sounds weird saying a high turnover but you know there is you look at these ladies they're basically given two nights after a vaginal birth and three nights after a cesarean so you know, a lot of these people are going home um, before their milk's come in, before they've established breastfeeding. And some of the bigger hospitals, if you do the um, continuality of care where you have the one-on-one midwife, they go home six hours post-delivery. So yeah, they get followed up immediately the next day. So that's where... Yeah, they do. But then you think, well, you get followed up the next day, but that's like a half-hour visit at home. Okay. No, I definitely, for continuity, like the models I've been in, they will give them like an hour and a half, like two hours, but it's... Well, that's good then where you've been working, but I, I know a lot of places um, that they, do, they don't have that time. Yeah. You've got someone on the road and they can't, they, you know, they literally can't spend an hour and a half because they have to visit five or six people that day. So at a house and the woman's already crying. Sometimes you can't get out. <laughs> I'm like, I can't, I can't leave when you're crying. <laughs> I can't do this. I need you to be like happy before I leave. Sometimes I'm in a house for an hour. I think that's definitely the difference because like, I'm where I'm working at the moment. It's a private hospital. So I've definitely noticed a difference there. So like the standard stay is four or five nights. But to be honest, most of the women stay much longer than that. But it's also nice because, you know, you get to see them establish breastfeeding and you get to build these real relationships with people as well. How about you, Bonnie? It sounds like you probably want to be like a home birth midwife. I don't know. I get this feeling from you. <laughs> I get a, I get a general like midwifery vibe from you that you're very holistic in your approach to your care. Isn't that interesting. Yeah. I think um, it's funny you say that because when I started this degree, I was terrified of home birth. Um, I've got a lot of close relatives and friends who have had very bad postpartum hemorrhages and um all sorts of things and and I was really uncomfortable with it at the start of my degree but after seeing after my last hospital placement which was my first big tertiary hospital placement actually it was six weeks and um it opened my eyes a lot to just the unnecessary interventions that go on. And I had two very medicalized intervention heavy birds and I loved them. They were beautiful. I felt safe. They were exactly what I needed. Um, and so I would listen to people talking about how bad inductions are, how bad epidurals are. And I'd be like, well, what's the big deal? They're not that bad. I had two and they were fine. But it took me to do this placement to see that it's not fine because these women are not educated. They're yeah. not informed. And I think after this hospital placement, I am starting and I will, I will go into the hospital system when I finish my placement because that's, that's where the jobs are. But um, I'm starting to see that 
I'm starting to see why people say that home birth is safer and I'm starting to see why people say that birth centre births are safer. And I think where I want to go in midwifery, I've always wanted to work in the postnatal space you know, a space that's not a hospital ward, but a space that is people's homes and actually giving them support, mental support, emotional support, empowering them, advocating for them, telling them they're doing a good job when they feel like a crap mum. Like we all go through that when we have a kid. It's awful. And there's not the people available to bring a nourishing meal to hold your baby while you have a shower and feel like yourself again. I feel like they're all rushed. Yeah. It's very rushed care. Yeah, and in fact, it's not care, it's a system. But I think, so postnatal is somewhere that I've always wanted to work, but after this hospital placement, I think I've just, my brain has been churning going, how can we educate women better? How can we provide fast, effective um, information? Just, you know, just about what you What's going to change if you have an epidural? You're going to get a catheter. You're probably going to have a cannula and you're going to have IV fluids. You're not going to be able to move. You're not, they're probably not going to assist you into an all fours position, even if you can lift your leg a little bit because they're just not going to do it. You're more likely to have forceps. You're more likely to have a vacuum. You're more likely to have a cesarean. I think women are told they might have a backache or they might get a headache or they might their baby might be a bit sleepy or breastfeeding might be trickier, but they don't get told how it's going to affect their birth. And they get given a pamphlet. No one's going to go home and read a pamphlet. No one reads pamphlets. No one reads no. it. No. Yeah. In this, this hospital that I work at now in a tertiary centre, and definitely home visiting, I love home visiting. It's my favourite part mm. of midwifery. I like to be in people's space. And that's when I was a student, I don't, I, I did some home visiting um, with a big tertiary hospital here in Melbourne. And I was like, this is crazy. You just go into people's homes? Like, okay. And the, the, you know, I was going into those big commission flats and things like that. I was like, this is crazy. This is insane. But it's sort of nice at the same time because you get to see them out of a hospital environment. And I think for you guys as students, it's really nice that you're already forming these ideas. I don't know if Carly and Penny can feel like Bonnie's enthusiasm for midwifery. And it sort of makes me really happy to hear that because I look, I'm teetering on, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit burnt out at the moment. I, mm. You know, I don't want to crush your dreams, <laughs> but I'm, I'm definitely at an all time high of fatigue, mental fatigue. I still love my job. Yeah, I think the Melbourne situation had a lot to do do with that. Like once I was the same, I was very burnt out and I didn't even realize how unhappy and how awful I felt, honestly, until I left Melbourne. We had the longest lockdown there, like work was just insane, like PPE. It was, yeah, it was tough. And I think just, you know, I just quietly faded away. I, I transferred from my hospital to bank and then I just never went back and I just packed up my house and sold it and hopped in my car and off I went. Yeah, it was the best decision I made. For like what Carly's saying, um, I think it's, I'm not sure if you've talked about it already, but knowing when to leave a hospital is a really good thing. Knowing knowing when your time is up. Penny and I left our hospital two weeks apart. We didn't plan that, Penny, did we? <laughs> no, we certainly did not. Although we didn't there was plan it, but I reckon, in that. I reckon we sent our resignation in like a week apart or something. I think I spent two years too long. 
like I, I think five years, six years tops at a hospital. And look, I think I think as students, we I'm, I'm not going to say we know, but you get a sense of a midwife that is fatigued, yeah. and a midwife that has seen so much of the same shit going yeah. on every <laughs> shift that they hate, but that they now just say okay too because they've got they're they're too tired and they're too overworked and they're too under-resourced to be able Mm. to fight back on people that are making decisions that are not in the woman's best interest and as a student Meg I think you'll agree with me you can see that when you're on shift with Mm. it with the midwife like that and sometimes we will leave the hospital and say I think I was on shift today with a midwife that probably needed to leave. At my hospital the students that we have at the moment are like the most beautiful group of women and we're very supportive and friendly and open with them. We engage with them in the tea room. We talk to them. You know, they're part of our team. I'd like to know how you guys are finding that. You can get midwives. Um, I've had really positive experience. I've had probably like one hospital. I've only been to three times with CCEs and I didn't like any of the midwives. One of them um, was, and we've talked about this recently, like, you know, just go be with the woman which at a certain point in your training, you're kind of like, okay, I already was here for her. Like it's my continuity of care experience. But also I want to be involved in her care because we've just had this relationship and she's expecting me to be involved. And if you're just going to brush me to the birth support visitor corner of the room and not let me do anything, I feel stupid. I feel like this is therefore not preparing me to be on my own um, or like it's not a learning experience. But we've chatted about this recently. Like it is equally as important to be with the woman, but for me that experience happened in 2020 when we had no placement so the only thing I had clinical skills experience wise was those CCEs so then to not even get any clinical skills there because the midwife's just been like oh no you can't type the midwife thinks they're being great and not making us do those things but actually it's kind of like no but otherwise I've had great experiences at the hospital I'm now going to work at and probably only one or two midwives that I've gone home like little bit crying stressing call to bonnie or um and sometimes they're lovely midwives but it's like this concept of you can be a great midwife and you're a great midwife for the woman or you can be a great midwife for the student or you can be a great midwife to the woman and the student and it's sometimes those midwives that are a great midwife to the woman that i see in continuation models that i've seen at mgp recently that they are so great and it's like a speech bubble above their head it's so like perfectly formed that the student just can't make theirs bigger. They just can't get in there and then they don't get the learning experiences or they feel quite small and they get quite shy or you can get midwives that can hold enough space for both and they don't make it like a learning experience and that the woman's just a body. They make it um, inclusive to the student but very mindful of consenting for the woman and what the woman wants and it's just a perfect experience. Not every midwife is a teacher, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You someone... have to be a teacher for the woman, so it kind of does lend that it should be, you know. Mm. Coming from someone who used to preceptor students and little undergrads, like I used to love having students and very obviously you'd get some students who were, you know, thought they knew everything and unfortunately they lost that edge as very, very quickly once they stepped into postnatal. But, you know, I used to love teaching them and getting them involved with the woman. Like, depending on the year, obviously, but if you were third year, like your third year, I assume you finish after three years, is that right? Mm-hmm. Third year, like you're only six months away from getting your registration. I used to be like, okay, 
take some patience. Like I'm still here for you, but, you know, mm-hmm. in supporting you, but, you know, learn as much as you can. Like this is the last six months. And even before then, you know, when they're like, oh, I've been here for a week, but I don't really want to take a patient second. I'm like, go for it. Like just try to do as much as you can. Because your first shift on the ward, you'll have four patients. Exactly. But it gives you the confidence to. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) It gives you the confidence. And, you know, because then you get me advice like that, which are great. And you're like ringing your friends that night. Oh, my gosh, I took my own patient load and she was still there if I needed anything or if I needed drugs or if I needed to confirm. Um, But then the next shift, you'll get the midwife that wants to hold your hand and make you feel like a first year. And you're like. Great. I just took a step forward and now taking six steps back. And I feel like I get, I get midwives to go do baths. I think baths are really good. No, I mean, everyone can give a baby bath. It's not hard. It's not like, it's not the act of giving the bath. It's engaging with the parents one-on-one at a time when it's really exciting. First baths are really exciting. So I'm like, go in, like, I won't be in there because I think as a student, if I, I mean, if I feel they're safe enough, they don't need me in there telling them how to give a baby a bath. I mean, come on. Like, you wash yourself, right? Like, and a student, doesn't, a student doesn't want to make mistakes. We don't want to do the wrong thing. And so chances are if so, if I'm in a position where I'm got I'm not 100% certain that what I'm doing is mm. right, I will find the midwife. If she's yeah. let me, if she's gone, these are your patients, you go yeah. through that. I'll find her and I'll go, I just want to check with you. Is this right? Or if you have a student that gives you that feeling, I'm usually like, what I'll do is I'll leave them alone to do something simple like the bath or, you know, obs. I I like walk back in the room to to get something and then I come back. So the student always knows that I'm there, Mm. but I'm not sitting on top of them, watching them midwife. And I think for Prax, it sort of gives you a real realistic idea of what the hospitals are like. You know, like sometimes you will work with really great midwives that you love and you think are really good. And then other times you will work with, I, don't, I mean, it sounds really bad, but not shit midwives, but maybe midwives who you don't gel with or you don't necessarily agree with their way of doing things. Um, They're an absolute cow and you just don't yeah. like them as a human. You're just I like, this woman's a bitch. I don't want to work with her. And that's, that's just, it. That's <laughs> it is in work life. You are, you know, you're never going to have a team where you love everyone. And I mean, that would be a dream, but you can be like, oh yeah, most of the people are really great, but there's probably always going to be a couple of people you don't gel with. Wasn't I a student with you, Penn? No, I don't think you were. We keep having this conversation, but <laughs> <laughs> we still memory. don't know. <laughs> I know you didn't have, but I remember seeing you in these little green scrubs and your hair was green out scrub. there. And I was like, who's this little short little me? I never wore green scrubs. <laughs> you wore your grad scrubs. I remember. No, you- I never wore scrubs. I remember your hair was all curly and you came in oh. to to deliver like a post-Caesar baby and I was like this is a little midwife there because you're really quiet was um, I oh god <laughs> so how did you guys find um going interstate for your place I guess I found that quite interesting because where you know where I studied it was just local and you would be at the same hospital for um basically all your placements so you really got to know that hospital well the staff and their procedures and going into state do you guys go to the same hospital for all your placements or are you at different hospitals so um we we only went into state to do a clinical teaching block not a placement that's like a four to five day skills block so because we're external if you imagine an on-campus degree 13 weeks so you have a lab every week that's one hour um that kind of 
combined makes up a um, condensed one week skills block where we were learning about catheters, like just the clinical skills um, to get signed off, to do simulations for PPH and preeclamptic seizures, stuff like that. So we did that once a year, maybe twice in first year, that sort of one week interstate go. Otherwise, all our placements are local. The majority in our cohort have had placements in their area, just like any on-campus um, student. But some areas of Australia have been, um, you know, that it's difficult to find placements. So they've travelled interstate. And I opted to travel interstate to Alice Springs for a placement because we were kind of getting to the sticky point following COVID where the third years had been prioritised. So we didn't have any placement when we were in second year. And then this year we were in third year and we kind of weren't prioritised and students under us were getting placements before us and it was a it was a mess and um I could see like Bonnie and I had this chat we weren't going to graduate there was no way you know even doing second and third year placements combined which I think is like 30 weeks of placement I had to work you know like that that wasn't going to work um but I wanted to graduate on time because I didn't want to have another year you know not earning the full full-time salary so I opted to go to Alice Springs for a placement and I've just recently done a rural placement out in the Wheat Belt of Western Australia. Um, but it, it's just the same. Midwifery is the same everywhere. You're still going to find those beautiful midwives and a really great model. The pace is definitely different though. The more rural and remote you go, I have to say, which wasn't ideal for me. But um, And are both yeah. of you regional WA? Well, yeah, the Wheat Belt is, you know, like Perth um, and the metro area is kind of like just quite close to the coast. And then the Wheat Belt is like the next region in. My parents live in Mount Helena. I'm originally, well, obviously by my accent, not originally, but I grew up in Perth, up in Mount Helena. Meg lives um, on the the fringes of Perth. So Meg lives sort of semi-rural. So the rural placement, although, I mean, it was still a huge amount of travel for Meg, was sort of in between. Yeah. So Mount Helena is like 30 minutes from the city and then 45 minutes from where my placement was. My placement was an hour and 10 minute drive every day for me. And I already live an hour um, inland from the city. So it was, it would probably been like two hours, which isn't as rural. You can get a lot (laughs) further rural, but it was I feel like where my parents live, it's rural because to me as a Melbourne, like I've been in Melbourne for 21 years and I get there and I'm like, God, why does it take so long to get everywhere? Because they live. 60 kilometers or 50 kilometers whatever it is east of the city and you have to, there's only one road out so i i would go would have gone crazy doing my placement <laughs> in WA. As, um, as students like when they are asking you or if you go to an interstate placement i know even when you know i went to placements that were sometimes you know a couple of hours away and it was always like financially it's like well hang on now i'm paying for petrol i've got to pay for parking on a day i'm basically working full time and not getting any money for this placement so it really really does make um hard financially if you're going interstate are you expected to pay for your flights pay for your accommodation or are you given any support there I haven't gone interstate for a placement only the CTB blocks, but Meg has, and yeah, she had to pay for everything. No funding, there's no support. You can always get, wow. you know, um, you can try and get like an ACM scholarship or something, but there's not, you know, there's only so many of them. Oh. And I think there is something if you are, if you identify as an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander and you live in the Northern Territory, 
there were placements, but then I don't really know how that works because if, if that's like your local area, it's not like you're doing interstate placement, but there was some mm-hmm. funding um, for certain students. But otherwise, no. And, and you're forgetting you're paying like $850 or $1,000 to do the unit, which covers the, the content, the theory, the staff salary, but also it, it's covering more clinical placement costs. So you're paying for that as well. Um, but no funding, you you want a placement, you want to graduate, then then that's, you know, it, you fought for cost. It's astounding, crazy. isn't it? Have you guys done a podcast on funding in midwifery? <laughs> no, because there is none. <laughs> and <laughs> you know what? It's not like we're it, we're slowing down in mid. Like we the pandemic babies over here are just it's a boom. Like it's so busy and we're so run off our feet with people like, yeah, let's have a baby. I'm like, yeah, great, great idea, guys. Yeah, we're tired. Can you stop? But there's no funding for midwifery. Like, I can't believe. And then, like, if you think, you mentioned parking. So my recent six-week placement just for the six weeks, just for parking was $600. And, like, I don't have, I don't, like, I've got two kids. My husband works an average job, gets a more average probably on the low end of average wage we don't have six hundred dollars no we wouldn't spend six hundred dollars on anything let alone but but then i had just have to you just have to find it it's very you don't realize where those expenses come in if you're traveling back and Mm. forth and you're petrol and all that and you're not getting paid to do placement either and look yeah because that was the postgraduate model but I live rural. So everywhere's going to be a 45-minute minimum drive for me. So I've accepted that. That's where I live. I don't live near public transport. But I've got the placement blocks where you, you could potentially try and stay somewhere for six weeks. But all your CCEs, those are sort of sporadic appointments all across the area. That's what cost me the most money. It's all the driving up and down to their appointments. But it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. But um, I don't think there really is any funding in midwifery. Like even from the university's point of view, they've got to make some profit. They've got to pay all their staff they have to pay for clinical placement, which we sort of pay for through them. Mm. So I think the WA Health have scholarships, Bonnie. Like we know of someone, I think, that's had one. I think they have post-grad scholarships. No, I think the student that, that I'm thinking of is definitely undergrad. Oh, okay. The WA Health scholarship. There's probably government-specific state government scholarships for students, but it will be for a handful of students, whereas probably... 90% of students need financial assistance. And the thing is, is that uh, we know that a lot of midwif- midwifery students are mothers. And, you know, it's like what we were saying before, how we're, we're being trained and taught how to help women care for their children. But at, at the same time, our children do not count. So for my university, for example, having kids is not a reason to, to request a part-time placement. And that makes me go, well, what, what is then? If so it the, hasn't changed. My, <laughs> no. If my one- and three-year-old children who don't go to school, who still need me, are not considered a reason for a part-time placement, and you're told, well, well, you're, you decided to do the study, you decided to have kids, and I just think that's such a blind thing to say because you don't know whether people have decided to have kids you don't know what the time constraints on people's finances are you know I can't wait too much longer to finish my studies because the people that provide a lot of my child care which is my mum I don't know what her health's going to do she's getting older she's not as 
fit yeah. and agile she used to be and it's so blind to just say well this was your choice and not take into consideration that women have so many other pressures on them and I just think kids should be a reason for a Bachelor of Midwifery to be adjusted to make yeah. it a sustainable model for mothers to do because so many mothers do it and it's great that mothers do it because they've got this knowledge they've they've probably lain in lithotomy and had a pair of forceps put up them and they probably need to be in the system to change the system and that goes to, i mean for people that are working as well they've also got pressures on them and it's such a full-on degree and it needs someone needs to step back and take a look and go how can we make this sustainable because midwifery needs to change and so how we teach midwifery needs to change so that the generations coming in and coming in and coming in can be the people that start to lift midwifery from what it is now to what it needs to be. And it's not going to change overnight. It's going to take a long time. But if we're teaching our students one way of being midwives and doing midwifery, then it's not going to change. Because midwifery is um, more of a calling, isn't it? But also we've got most of the workforce working part-time. And it's not like the sort of stereotype of teaching that I know there are part-time teaching jobs, but the majority of teachers work full-time Monday to Friday. That doesn't happen in midwifery. A lot of them are point eight or less. So then we're not going to work. We're not going into a position that's going to be definitely full-time. Your graduate is mostly recommended at point eight. So even that kind of doesn't marry up. And um, if you decide to study part-time, which most courses are offered full-time, but if you do have an event that makes you go part-time, your placement's not part-time. You can study part-time, yeah. but your placement yeah. is still a six-week full-time block. It just doesn't. And I think Bonnie brought this up with the union. The rationale was that, you know, there's evidence that students learn better in full-time blocks. We're not all the same type of learner. That doesn't, you know, that's just rubbish. Exactly. And I think also um, the placement's, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. They're not like a nice like nine to five. Even if you do daytime hours, that's normally like seven to three thirty. But as students, I know when I was a student, we were chucked on all shifts, like night shifts, weekends, everything. Is, is that what you guys are finding as well? You know, we're we're going on placement, which we're paying for, which we're not getting any financial, you know, reward for. We're going home. We're trying to do assignments. So I've got a placement that starts at. 7am it goes till 3.30 so I'm getting up at 3 in the morning. I'm studying till 6. I'm leaving the house at quarter past 6. I'm getting to placement at 7. I'm finishing at 4 o'clock because I stayed late for a birth. I'm getting home at 5 o'clock. I'm putting my kids to bed and they go to bed about 7.30, probably later because they haven't seen me for a week. And then I'm not in bed asleep until 9.30, 10 o'clock because I've got to help my husband clean the clean the house I've got to say hello to my husband because otherwise we're just ships in the night and then I'm getting four hours sleep and then getting up at three o'clock the next day because I've got assignments and study I think you're raising something that's really important Bonnie and that's not not just as mid midwifery students but and and I'm sure you guys will both know this already or have an idea of this is that when you start working in mid and you're expected to do point eight rotating through different areas and you've got young kids, and I dare say your kids are around the same age my kids were when I was in third year. And now they're 14 and 10. And for the for the love of God, I just want them to clean up after themselves. It's yeah. all I'm asking. <laughs> but shift work now is easier for me. But now I'm I feel like I've done a full circle. And I think that's something that you girls 
um, will come across, you'll start off in point A and it'll be a struggle and you won't have time to be with your children and make them your priority. Or if you don't have kids, your dog or your friends or your circle of friends who aren't midwives, everyone has something that's important to them. And then you'll do a full circle. So now, like for me, I'm at a point where my kids are older, but I feel like their needs have become greater because they need to be driven here, driven there. You know, my son's going to start a part-time job maybe next year. I'll have to drive him. And in between all of that, I got a divorce and I got remarried and they're all life stressors and midwifery takes up so much of your time that I think as students now, if you're already realizing the pressure, it's good to keep it in perspective when you actually start. My biggest advice is put your family first. Put wh- whoever it is you caring for, put them first because you are just a number in hospital. I think you, other girls would agree. <laughs> uh, look, I can't tell you how many midwives I've spoken to, and I uh, who have echoed the same thing. And I spoke to a, a midwife just yesterday who we're going to interview on the podcast, who is going to come and talk about why she had to leave midwifery. Mm. And she still considers herself a midwife. She now works um, for a politician and she's representing midwifery in that space as best she can. But she just talks about how the the poor work culture, the poor Mm. value placed on midwifery and the way she was treated and the fatigue led to her going, I need to leave. And she was saying exactly what you were saying before, Laura, when how it's so important to know when you need to leave and look after yourself. Coming from someone who recently left the hospital business too, I can definitely see, I don't have kids, Bonnie, but I can Mm. see how much of a struggle it is trying to manage everyone. Like my fiance works a nine to five job, like pre pre COVID. Now he's been working from home, but pre COVID when he would come home at like seven o'clock at night and pending if I was an afternoon shift, I'd come home at, you know, 10 o'clock. Mm. And then for that one to two hours, be like, how's your day? How's your day? But then, you know, sometimes you really don't want to discuss your day because you had a really crap day. Yeah. Or you just want to watch TV. You want to watch some trashy show because you have to go to bed in an hour get up at seven again, or you're doing an Arvo shift the next day. So you don't see each other for like three days almost in a row. And then you go to night shift and that's just ridiculous because you don't see them. Yeah. You don't see them then. Yeah. Then, all and then COVID hit and, you know, people are working from home. And <laughs> last year, Penny was my absolute savior because I broke down one day trying to homeschool my daughter who is, a lovely little human being, but she's she's a pain in the ass at times. And, uh, you know, Penny had to drive. We don't live close to each other. She'd drive all the way to my place and homeschool Abigail so I didn't, you know, stab her because I was just so stressed and crying. Well, I think I was crying when you came, Penny. <laughs> yeah, you cried. I'm laughing because I'm pretty sure Meg and, I, Meg and I have had very similar conversations where I've been like, Meg, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill them. I don't have kids. I think it's most of the time you're going to lean on midwifery friends and shift work friends. Like I have great friends who work nine to five, but like, what are you doing on the weekend? Well, this was pre before I left. What are you doing on the weekend? I'm doing Arvo morning to make sure that I'm available on Saturday, you know, four weeks in advance. Okay, cool. Well, you're not free then because you just picked up a shift because you had to swap and then you're trying to find someone to swap a shift with. And, you know, who wants to to work a Saturday Arvo really like, but also being a student, like it's someone recently told me that it actually will get easier the first year, like in your grad year, because you have had 
on-call continuity of care experiences. So you have had no life for whole three years because Bonnie and I, I don't know why, but probably because of COVID last year, we took on extra CCUs almost double. And that was because that was when we could get clinical skills. Like I love the experience, but also right up until I finished my degree, I'm following two ladies that I had at the beginning of my degree because they're pregnant again. And that's, you know, like really awesome. But it means I will still be on call until the very last point so I can't make so many plans with people and I'm working on the weekends to make up for one of my placements so I've kind of done yeah. seven days a week yeah for the whole third year and um, yeah. I'm thinking so, so I opted to do point nine for my grad because I can always go down but I thought oh my god like I'm not going to have the two days on the weekend I'm not going to be on call throughout the week so actually point nine sounds pretty good right now and I can always drop to point eight or pick up a casual to go to you know 10 shifts but yeah, it's just such not, a not many people were 0.9, I don't think. No, most grads do 0.8, but I definitely feel you. I remember that as well, like finishing um, up uni and being like, okay, so now I'm not doing placement. I'm not working my bar job. I'm not doing assignments, although I did decide to do honours in my grad year, so that probably wasn't smart. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, definitely I remember the same thing. Oh, I'm going to have so much time, but I sort of, like I did and I didn't. You feel like all of a sudden you're you're making money for when you're at work, which is good. But you do also it's very fatiguing as well because you're trying to you're trying to take in a lot of information still and learn a lot of information. So yeah, definitely make sure you give yourself yeah take some time for yourself in your grad year and yeah look after yourself. As we always say, you need to advocate for yourself. Don't freak like out it. when you go home and think, oh, my God, I didn't give this 6 o'clock Panadol. I'm going to go call them and <laughs> no stay awake for 10 hours overnight thinking, oh, my God, she didn't get her 6 o'clock Panadol and they didn't answer and they're going to call me in for a drug error. Please do. I can tell you, Penny, right now I'm, I'm going to do that. I know. You're I, I, that and I'm like, that's going to be me. We all do Knowing it, you so. for about 30 minutes, I believe, but please <laughs> take care. You'll cry at least once during your grad year. Get all on board, okay? Don't let it burn you out. Because honestly, it's not worth it because she was probably asleep at 6 a.m. anyway. So don't. We all stress. We all stress about things. I've, I was saying to Carly before, because I'm at a new hospital and they have new systems, I highlighted something wrong yesterday. And I know, I know that I'll be told that I used the wrong color highlighter on something. I've thought about it and I keep thinking about it. Oh, shit, they're going to come up to me and tell me I didn't do the admin staff are going to like, grill me I'm stressing about it and I've been a midwife for like six years and I'm stressing that I highlighted something wrong (laughs) I've got a question for you guys because it sounds like you've all left hospitals before for various reasons and I was talking with some WA like a little WA midwifery group the other day about the poor culture in hospitals what do you think creates this really bad culture in midwifery wards on hospitals i would 100 percent say management as in the terms of upper management who are not working on the floor so everywhere i would say i don't think there's any hospital right now who would put their hand up and say oh yeah we are really well staffed we've got all the staff we need so regularly where i'm working people are doing overtime they're doing double shifts and at one point, they um, there was no there was no one to do the shift. It was like really short staffed, and the management said, "Well, why don't you just get them to do another double shift?" And it was like, "Well, hang on, this this girl has already done like three double shifts this week, like in one week," and then they were just like, "We'll just get to do another one," and it's like, "Well, 
they start, they don't even comprehend that. Well, one, this is like a choice. These people don't have to do double shifts, but also like that was their way for feeling like where there was a staff shortage was just expecting regular staff to pick up double shifts, which then is then leading to burnout and leading to people getting tired and leading to errors and you, you know, not wanting to be there. Um, so I think staffing is definitely a major issue, which that's not something that can be fixed um, in short. So that's like a massive thing. That leads to poor culture is you have um, the midwives who will do doubles and, you know, are a bit like, oh, I'm so great because I do a double and I do this and I do that and I'm always putting my hand up for a double. And then you're looked down on if you don't pick up a shift or do a double. Yeah. Do a double and my my answer is the same every single time. No, thank you. Or if I really don't like them, I say, fuck no. Um, Or I just don't answer them at all. It's like double, I'm not doing a double. uh, I also think an important thing to point out that a lot of people don't know is if you're with the union, um, so if you're with the union, you're covered under their like indemnity insurance, but they don't actually cover you if you're doing a double shift. So they'll cover you for 12 hours because the union... 14th hour and you give the wrong med, you're screwed. Yeah, because the union, they totally know that to do, if you're doing double shifts, like how can you be on the ball if you're tired so their insurance is not covering you to do a double shift because from their standpoint we shouldn't be doing double shifts because it's not safe isn't that crazy that your management feels comfortable to ask people to work in a way that it will make them unsafe practitioners isn't that crazy i think that's why the culture is so bad because there's girls that are happy to do it and do it and say we have to support each other by doing the double and then there's others who think that's crazy like I'm not going to risk my registration and you can see both sides though you know when you're working in this small team of midwifery you know and you get very you spend a lot of time with these ladies and sometimes men that you work with so you do become a team and then it's like well you can stay and help us so that we're not dying basically because we've got all these patients that how can we do by ourselves? or you can go home so you do get that that sort of guilt, well, you know, I need to stay and help my, you know, my workmates and because otherwise what what other option have they got? Like what are they going to do? Or the person who's been here from 6 a.m. and has already done a double, what they're going to now stay and work a 24-hour shift? Yeah, I agree with Carly. It comes from that and I'm sure Penny would agree as well with management, poor management. I think it's a culmination of – it was a culmination of factors really for me. Management was one – I kind of felt I wasn't really making a difference and that I felt like my new job allowed me to make a difference and help support women. Also, midwifery, as you've probably noticed, is a lot of females and a lot of females like to be in positions of power and there can be a lot of catty midwives. It just happens you're in an all-female workplace and I was in in charge a few times I got an in-charge position and there were a lot of midwives below me who were kind of like, well, oh, you got in charge, really? Oh, okay, yeah, you're we, in charge. We had the same. I, I, was in, I remember being in charge on a night shift mm-hmm. and it's, it's the same thing. I, like someone had a problem with a decision I made in, mm-hmm. in terms of bedding patients, but instead of them coming up to me and saying, hey, Laura, I don't like the decision you made at 3 a.m. No one makes a great decision at 3 a.m. for starters. Um, Nothing good happens. No. Yeah. But I definitely think management, yeah. management 
it was a combination, but management kind of tipped the the edge in my favor. Oh yeah. And you know, I've had some really great managers and then I've had some absolutely terrible ones. And I think it was just, it all added up and eventually, you know, another job kind of just came my way and I'm like, well, this is fate. And I was doing two jobs. I was working in a hospital and being a maternal child health nurse. And then the opportunity came to go into maternal child health full time. And I was like, well, you know what? I was going to make this decision eventually. Let's see if the grass is greener. Also, um, when you said like about making a difference, and I think this comes back to what you were saying as well, Penny, about how all these women you see and they're just not educated or getting the information they need to make the right decisions. And it's really hard like as one person or one midwife to make you know it's hard and you feel like you do like sometimes you think you know what like I haven't made a big difference overall hopefully I've made a difference to that one woman because I've tried to help her um and I think that's something so we found as well so just a little shameless plug for us as well we have another account called the bump explained because we found that as well so many women would be doing things and not knowing why they were doing it or it's just like I'm having this and you'll be like okay so why are you having an induction and they'll be like oh well I, I don't know and, and we found that so often people would be doing things and not knowing why or they just wouldn't even have a basic understanding of what was happening to their body so we made this other account to try and just make education out there for women and put it in simple terms so that people could understand it but also like really accessible it's on Instagram you know like everyone looks at Instagram and scrolls so just so people can look at this bite-sized piece of information and just try and get a little bit more educated and informed about what's happening to themselves and, and not get their discharge funny. education just thrown at them on a piece of paper okay. <laughs> you want to you want to read you want to read about just, just, just read it they just give you this pamphlet and read so it for those of us who do home visiting I can tell you, fucking falls onto us because we get to the house and the woman's in tears and she doesn't, she never, I I had a woman tell me the other day her baby bath demo was the midwife came in, dunked the baby in the bath, took it out, literally dunked the baby in the bath and said, that's it. I don't have time to help you with anything else. I was like, she dunked it. She's like, she literally dunked it in the bath. I'm like, okay. Do you guys have a lot of shared care models? Because I definitely find that the women that have gone through the shared care, which that's sometimes looked down upon by people in continuity models because they think, well, you're not at the birth. But sometimes that makes the world a difference because those women come into the labour and birth, they know, like everything we've talked about today, they know the effects of a lot of these decisions and interventions. And then on the other side, postnatal education, sometimes you can just hand the woman the sheet and say, is there any questions you have or anything you want us to go through? And they'll be like, no, no, we talked about this, this, uh, could you go over that again? And then the hospital midwives don't do the home visits. They get picked back up by their shared care midwife or GP or whoever they're seeing, like obviously midwife, unless it's a GPO maybe. Um, But in these midwife shared care models, it's wonderful. They go back to the community. They get up to six weeks postnatal support, home visits, lactation consultant, um, and they just seem so like bubbled through the whole pregnancy. I think it depends who they're getting the shared care with. So I've definitely seen good and bad. Like I've seen shared pair, shared care with GPs where um, they've really just have done very basic information and they don't and they don't have anything. Like I've seen one woman who said, oh, you know, I had decreased fetal movements. And so my doctor just did a, like a little Doppler, like listen and said, there's a heartbeat and sent me home. I was like, what the? And then I've seen other shared care where 
they've, you know, had got really good information. They've said, oh, you know, this has been my GP since, you know, it's really good and they've come. So I think shared care is a great idea, but it obviously depends on the practitioner again. Midwifery needs to change. We, we've all, we all know that. And I think as students, I think every cohort of students tries to implement a little bit more change. The students that, like the third year students and fourth year students that I see coming through now at the hospital I'm at is I can see they're different I feel like they're different than two or three years ago a lot more outspoken I find a lot more students yeah they're a lot more upfront outspoken but they're more willing to advocate yeah there's there's a difference in the midwifery scene at the moment because you we've got things like birth time and we've got all these podcasts sharing information you've got Australian birth stories where women are talking openly about birth trauma and obstetric violence and you've got things like the the midwives cauldron which is such a fantastic resource oh, that's a great so podcast I think as as students we are actually being led or being given space by the people that are right at the front of midwifery in Australia and in the UK, I'd say, to be able to be outspoken and to be able to say, I don't think that's right. And I don't feel safe to do that in a clinical context. I couldn't do that in a hospital because in a hospital I really am just a student. Mm. But I can do a podcast. I can talk to people. I can meet with midwives. I can educate my CCAs. You know, I can do things like that outside of a hospital because people have done the research, shared the information and spoken openly and honestly about their experience of midwifery, whether they're women who have experienced good or bad midwifery care or obstetric care or whether they're midwives that are doing the research and standing up and saying enough is enough, midwifery is not what it should be. So I think we're able to do that because people are giving us the space to do that. And you won't be just a student for very long. Soon you'll be just a grad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also, like studying in the pandemic with, like, probably worldwide students getting cancelled placements, you're forced to go and learn that somewhere else. Like the injustice of so many dads not being allowed in labour ward or the postnatal ward. That's like another little fire that's firing us up. And we didn't choose to study in a pandemic. We were already second years. We were already locked in. We didn't have that choice to kind of withdraw. Um, it like, what are you going to do? Quit? Take a part time full time job and then quit that 12 months later if it goes back to normal so we kind of were locked in um, and had to go and find those resources well we have chatted for so long um it's been so yeah it's been so enjoyable and what a great time I guess if is there any sort of final thoughts or anything that you guys want to want to say any tips for future students (laughs) Uh, do you know what I think I'd like to say is for midwives is that when you get a student you might be tired. You'll probably be tired. You'll probably be exhausted. You might be on your double shift and you might be thinking, this is a pain in my ass. But I can promise you that that student wants to help. So if you don't want to empty a wee bag, if you don't want to put on a blood pressure cuff, if you don't want to do X, Y, Z, that student will so gladly do it and you will make their day by giving them those jobs to do. And that student is a student that might be working alongside you in a year and might be the student that means, and might be the grad that means that you don't have to do a double shift in a year. So as annoying, and I can totally understand that it can be annoying having a student with you, 
But if you can just give them something to do and then at the end of the shift say, thanks for doing those things, honestly, you will just make their day. You'll fill them with confidence. And for the next midwife they go into, they'll be like, hey, I can do a catheter bag and I can do a blood pressure cuff and I can do this and I can do this. Do you want me to do those things? And it will just set that student up for learning more and getting more confident and being less annoying for each midwife that they go and see after that. And it's it's all it is, is you going, I know this puts me in a vulnerable position having a student with me because it's my registration, but I'm going to trust that this student wants the best for the woman like I do and I'm going to give them these jobs to do. And find out what your student needs to learn. Find out what they know and just if you feel comfortable, do it. They will never mind being asked to do things because that's what they're there to do. They're there to learn and that's all we want to do. Personally, I am that shy student at the start that doesn't feel like they want to have a go because they don't know everything. And you're never going to know everything, even as a midwife. You have to step out of your shell and like exert that confidence and be confident with what you know. Like we said that recently, you just have to walk in, shoulders back, held, held, head held high and say, this is what I can do. This is what I know. I want to have a go because otherwise you will never grow. And you have to in midwifery, especially as a student, you need sort of thicker skin to come away from certain situations and you need your support. So whether that's your midwifery group chat or your favourite podcast. And um, just because a few students might be listening to this, I am also an academic, so I mark a lot of uh, student assignments. Just a little tip, ladies and gents, if you're doing it, because, you know, assignments are shit. And let's be honest, a lot of people, if you're not going into research or academia, it's sometimes it is it is really difficult because you're like, I'm really great at this practical side, but you do need the the marks when the assignments to get through. So just some little tips. Read it before you submit it. Even get someone else to read it. Even if they've got no idea what you're talking about, get them to read it because they will pick up your grammar, your spelling mistakes. Um Follow the formatting guidelines and the referencing guidelines. I don't know how many times I say this to my students that sometimes like a quarter of your marks, and I don't know if you always see the rubrics, but sometimes a quarter of your mark can come from just like grammar, spelling and referencing. And to me, I'm like, that's easy marks. That can be the difference between an A or a C. So yeah, (laughs) proofread your stuff before you submit it and reference properly. I'd also just like to quickly say thank you to all the midwives that are absolutely beautiful with students. Thank you. You make our days, you make us feel valid and valued and you help us so much. So any midwives listening to this, if you've had a student and they've ever said to you, hey, thanks for today, they really, really meant it and thank you. Well, give the ladies a follow. It's Making a Midwife podcast. I will link it in our little um, blurb as well. And thank you so much for giving up your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having us, guys. No worries. And, uh, yeah, any questions or comments or anything, as always, just shoot us a message or put a comment in and, yeah, we will see you guys next time. And be sure to tune in next time for more laughs, thrills and real stories from real midwives on Head On View. And now we're still recording.